NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hello, and welcome to NWP Radio, a broadcast of the National Writing Project. I'm Christina Cantrell. I'm logging in here from Philadelphia, which is also historically known as Lenape Hoking. I'm really excited to welcome colleagues, uh, Ray Oviet of the Red Cedar Writing Project, and also a professor at Eastern Michigan University, and Ileana Jimenez, a high school teacher and a fourth year PhD, soon to be done at Teachers College. Um, you might also know her as feminist teacher. Uh, we are here today to talk about a really exciting virtual open institute um, that's happening this summer. Uh, it's co-sponsored by Chippewa River Writing Project, Red Cedar Writing Project, and Eastern Michigan Writing Project. And it's open to everyone nationally. It'll be virtual and online. And it's designed for teachers um, to think together about the composing of our multiplicities or hashtag queer composing. So we'll have a chance to talk about this institute, what you can expect of this and how you can get involved. Uh, registration is now open. So Ray, let me turn to you. You're the main sort of organizer and facilitator who's been working to bring all this energy together. And we'd love to have you introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about the origins and the goal of this Summer Institute. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, so for me, this work is deeply personal. It really began in my earliest lived experiences. Um, I grew up in working poor communities of color in Chicago and Indianapolis, where I was often the only young person along with my sister who looked like me. I point to this as uh, those <clears throat> earliest experiences because my um, journey on the path of racial literacy really began there and toward my own desires to disrupt white supremacy as being rooted in my childhood, though I didn't have the language I have today. I started demonstrating at 13 and organizing by the time I was 16. <clears throat> um, but really a lot of that came from the stories my grandfather, who was Asian American and white, and my mother, who looks the most like him, shared with me about their own experiences of both interpersonal and systemic racism, which also shaped these early understandings. So even though my own critical consciousness was beginning to grow, I I didn't understand how I was complicit within those systems of oppression myself for much longer. Um, and I think that's important to note. But part of this lack of awareness was an early understanding of my identity um, within the LGBTQIA community. Um, and, you know, and a lot of really smart folks talk about this in the literature, but those of us who hold one or more marginalized identities often don't understand how my, they might be complicit in others. Um, so I really feel like I lacked a more critical awareness of how much of my own queer community um, was in need of racial healing as well and continues to be. I'm the first in my family to pursue any education past high school and a non-traditional student, but eventually I decided to go to college um, to become a teacher in the early 2000s um, and really um, out of a desire to be sort of an agitator from the inside. I started out with the best of intentions and with the heart of an organizer, but with so much to learn and unlearn. Um, across my years of teaching as a middle school and high school English teacher, a language interventionist with upper elementary emergent bi and multilingual students, and then eventually as a teacher educator. 
I saw opportunities to deepen and broaden my understanding of whose stories, voices, and contributions are missing from our curriculum through engagements with professional development, um, through organizations such as the National Endowment for Humanities, uh, becoming a teacher trainer for the Library of Congress, and eventually pursuing a PhD. This led to my becoming a teaching consultant for <clears throat> Red Cedar Writing Project, um, which uh, is situated at Michigan State University. My interest turned toward pursuing a greater um, depth of understanding of how youth, teachers, and community educators and artists worked in community coalition to compose their civic identities into the world. Across the four years of community co collaborations that I engaged in my dissertation studies, as I continued to be asked back by community members that I was partnering with and in response to their requests, I found that the most dynamic and impactful work um, to extend youth and teachers understanding and enactment of brave space with each other happened when queer of color knowledges were being centered. And this was often communicated not only in writing, but even more so across multimodal composing. Given the emphasis that NWP places <clears throat> on writing and composing, I approached my former mentor at Red Cedar as a curiosity to whether what I was envisioning was even possible. Specifically, I wanted to respond and support teachers in being responsible for creative and brave ways to address the violent policy rollouts that we're seeing sweep the nation right now that many refer to as the educational gag orders. Many of these policies that are seeking to silence any conversation of race and the multiple histories of this country also have some really problematic language around gender embedded in their language. Um, additionally, we're seeing many of the states that were ahead of the curve in passing legislation, quickly ushering through anti-trans and um, <clears throat> homophobic policies that would result in further harm to uh, LGBTQIA plus students. Um, but it's important to note that the combination of these bills, both what people are referring to as like anti-CRT and all of the um, policies that are coming out that really further um, harm our queer students leaves queer students of color at really the most risk of further harm and at the very least erasure, which is a harm within itself. Uh, this Open Summer Institute will support teachers in highlighting models of queer of color authors, artists and organizers in their writing units and specifically we will meet across the first week to engage the teacher as writer and across the second to engage the teacher as writing instructor. Across those two weeks, we have some really phenomenal folks uh, joining us. I'm really excited about this, such as right. award winning. Should I show? Should I show the list while you're you're? Yeah, interested? absolutely. Okay. Such as award winning young adult literature author Alex Sanchez, uh, scholars such as Latrice Johnson, Jose Lazaraga, the strategic coordinator for Detroit Area Youth Uniting Michigan, Julia Cunio, and those whose work moves across teaching scholarship and organizational service such as Lamar Timmons-Long and Ileana Jimenez. Um, in fact, we're lucky enough to have her with us today to share a little bit about herself and what brings her to the work. That was beautiful, thank you, Ray. Um, I really appreciated your intro, particularly starting with um, storytelling about how you came to this work. Um, and how our own kind of childhood and education and families really inform those early um, just understandings of how we even come to reading and writing and thinking. 
um, for myself. Uh, neither of my parents went to college. Uh, both of them grew up in Puerto Rico and uh, my mom, particularly Puerto Rico and the Bronx. And um, I was born in New York and uh, grew up also in the, in the Bronx and uh, on Long Island. And uh, growing up on kind of suburban white um, schools on Long Island was really challenging, um, especially in the in the eighties, the Reagan eighties, where um, having short curly hair at that time um, made children call me the N word or Afro or you know other names like that, and. Um, my mom kind of countered that through the kinds of books she would put in my hands. Um, she would give me books by Anne Frank, by Harriet Tubman, by um, just a range of different kinds of authors. And she, she always kind of gave me books that went beyond my grade level. Um, and that kind of introduced me to a reading and writing or a reading and thinking um, at an early age that I think it, later informed my writing. Um, when I was in high school, I was in an AP English class where the book that I read that changed my life forever was James Joyce's Por Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. And I realized that in reading that book, um, I had the opening pages, Stephen Daedalus is being bullied and he's reading poetry under the bed covers and he's questioning the church and he's experimenting with sexuality. And he's like, I'm gonna to go to university and not serve the church. And for me reading that as a like young Puerto Rican girl growing up on Long Island in the nineties was, wait a second, how come I haven't read a book about a young Latina girl growing up being bullied, uh, reading, um, writing on her own, you know, writing poetry on her own and then also questioning and thinking about my own sexuality and as a emerging queer young person and wondering where where are those where are those stories and how do I even begin to to find them um, so that's how I found feminist theory uh, at the end of my senior year in high school uh, Mrs. Angela Welcome who was my AP English teacher said okay, choose a book from the class that really influenced you in some way. And then you're gonna compare that book to another set of texts that you're gonna find on your own. So I thought, I'm definitely gonna write about Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. And I went to the local library. And at that time it was all card catalogs and there was no such thing as looking up, you know, anything on the internet. And that's how I inadvertently found um, feminist theory. I started reading um, Simone de Beauvoir and The Second Sex and Kate Millett and Sandra Gilbert and Susan Gubar and The Mad Woman in the Attic and like basically like white feminist literary criticism. And reading white feminist literary criticism made me go, whoa, what is this whole world? Um, and it, it took kind of the cobwebs off my eyes. And I started reading books like Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar and Erica Zhang's Fear of Flying and um, Judy Chicago's Through the Flower. And those were the three books I compared to Portrait of the Artist. And I wrote this paper. And that's essentially what brought me to an early feminist consciousness in high school and led me to 
essentially becoming an English major. And, and really every class that I took as a college student, I, I said, whatever I do with this literature degree is going to be funneled, filtered, channeled back into, I, I had already imagined myself as a high school English teacher. And the most important class that I took was um, a Latin American and Latina women writers class. And that's where I finally got to read Chicana feminist theory and Gloria Anzaldúa and Shari Muraga and Ana Castillo. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for. And um, because of Chicana lesbian feminist theory, I was able to understand myself as a young Puerto Rican um, kind of first generation college student coming into my queerness, coming into my political consciousness, and then saying, this is what needs to inform high school teaching, which is women of, femini- uh, women of color feminisms. And so as I started my career, um, that's, that was the lens and the framework that I brought to teaching was everything had to be informed by this intersectional, queer, feminist, women of color lens. And that's how I, you know, I, I didn't take teacher ed. I actually was not even an education major. Um, and so for me, I was truly, I truly looked to women of color feminisms as my teacher educators. And that's how I started my career 25 years ago. And they, that's really the root and the origin of, of how I still do my work. Um, and so when you invited uh, me, Ray, to do this, to do a, a workshop and a session during sacred writing time with the teachers, I just thought, well, um, <laughs> there's so many texts out there that are sacred even to me as a teacher. Um, but the first text that came to mind was the Kambahi River Collective's Black Feminist Statement. Um, and the Black Feminist Statement for me, because it's written in this, um, visionary manifesto style of being informed by black feminist socialist um, kind of framework of looking at black feminism as a liberatory framework, black feminism as an emancipatory project, black feminism as a socialist project, black feminism as a way to think about um, dismantling violence, dismantling you know, various forms of oppression. And at the end, they actually gesture towards school. Like um, at the end of that statement, they say, we need to do this work in schools um, and to work with young women, particularly black women and girls. Um, And so for me, sacred writing time for this institute will be um, situated and rooted in the black feminist statement and inviting teachers to think about what are the ways in which this statement um, opens up our thinking around pedagogy through an intersectional lens, through a black feminist lens, through a um, black queer um, lens, through a black lesbian lens. Um, and then how do we begin to do the coalitional work, the pedagogical work, the political work, um, not only on ourselves, like using that text to in- examine ourselves, but then also inviting our students to do the same work. Um, And how do we apply the theory that's in that text to examine other issues that are important to young people, whether that's 
sexual harassment and assault and rape, abortion, reproductive justice, um, their own education at school, the ways in which we can decolonize their education at school, um, the ways in which, you know, a core part of the Black feminist statement is, they, is that they name what are the ways in which Black women in particular are pitted against, um, at that time it was written in 1977, so they were saying we are left out of the Black nationalist civil rights discourse, and we're also left out of the, like, white feminist, even white lesbian discourse, and we have to create our own. Um, and I think that's still true today, unfortunately. So like, what are the ways in which um, we still have to work towards centering women of color feminisms and women of color in general um, as part of how we do uh, liberation work and, and pedagogy and curriculum and teacher education and writing and thinking with our alongside our students. Um, so that's that's going to be really the heart of um, what I what I will invite uh, the teachers to do during that sacred writing time. Um, so beautiful. I so appreciate you both bringing in your own stories to inform to sort of open up what the spaces will be like this summer. So I feel like this is a really lovely demonstration of the possibilities there. And I'm really excited to support teachers in connecting to this so that we can all sort of work on this kind of work together. That's a brilliant opportunity. Ray, um, maybe you can further sort of talk through what this summer is gonna look like and some of the details of it and where people can, how they can get connected. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, so to open up the space to think about like how you can engage with us. And as you can see from our examples today, this is deeply personal work, right? Um, and we are going to be really engaging brave space with each other. So the completely virtual Open Summer Institute is in response to the violent policy rollouts of what some are referring to as educational gag orders and the rapid increase of cis-sexist and transphobic alongside heterosexist and homophobic policies that are quickly taking root across the US. Um, therefore, we've structured our time together to take place from um, 8.30 to 12.30 Pacific time and 12.30 to 4.30 Eastern time. That way we really can um, engage a variety of folks that are struggling with these issues and wanna um, think creatively with us about what can we do to continue to do the good work during this time um, together so that teachers across the country can register and join us. Um, our first week together will begin June 20th and we'll run that week Monday through Thursday. Over the next few weeks, teachers will have the opportunity to engage with me and each other and, um, and all of our brilliant speakers um, and optional weekly Zoom meetings. Um, across, well, the, the, let me cl clarify that the speakers won't be in the optional weekly Zoom meetings. The optional weekly Zoom meetings will be with me, um, but the, the weeks that we're together, the first and second week of the institutes, that's when their brilliant speakers will be coming through. Um, the Zoom meetings will take place at 1 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern as they engage in some of their readings and begin to consider what this might look like in their own K-12 classroom context. Our last week together for the Institute is scheduled to begin Monday, July 25th, and will mirror the first week. So we have um, a considerable gap between the two weeks. And that's really to give time to be reflective and to, and to move from teacher as writer to teacher of write, writers. 
um, and to start looking at like, what does this pra pragmatically look like in our curricula across these contexts and, and to also support each other as we're trying to figure all that out. Um, my own experiences of what were phenomenal um, summer engagements have also informed what comes next. A lot of times there were brilliant um, sparked ideas that there was not much support or if any um, follow through the following year and this moves differently so teachers who register and attend the virtual open summer institute will have further opportunities to meet in collaborative collectives with their peers and myself monthly across the following school year additionally i'm offering uh, monthly one-on-one -on -one meetings with me to co-construct their writing and composing units to consider how to actually enact this work right that's really what's most important to me. And as we've seen in the past couple of years, the policy changes and what this means for our administrators who are under duress and what this means for teachers who are under, under just so much strain right now, um, it continues to happen quickly. And so to not be responsive in that way feels um, like it would just be irresponsible of me. So anything I can do to support folks coming through in the 22-23 school year, that is absolutely what I'm here for. Um, whether the support that teachers choose to engage is the annotated text sets, um, which they'll receive so that they can quickly go to, oh, I'm teaching a unit on persuasive writing, or I'm teaching a unit on families, here's how I want to include, and, and Ray's got these resources right here already collected for me. They'll have instructional materials that are being designed for them as well, so um, organizers that help them to think really pragmatically about what it means to actually do this work in their classrooms. Um, and then curriculum building that will be built into the virtual open summer institute or um, optional engagements across the 22-23 school year um, will be up to their choosing what they engage with out of all of that based on their availability um, their capacity and of course their energy for the work um, during a time when we know teaching is not getting any easier um, but my experience has taught me that teaching in collaboration and in a collective always makes the work better and gives me energy to keep going Great, thank you. And let me share the flyer once again, because uh, I wanted to just, um, for those listening to us um, over our podcast, um, I wanted to um, also read out the URL that you can find out more about this and uh, register. So it's a bit.ly link, so bit.ly, L-Y, sorry, bit.ly slash composing dash multiplicity. And um, the hashtag uh, queer composing is being used to support this. Um, and I'll just, uh, for those watching on video, show the list of um, uh, colleagues who will be working um, with um, you and Ray and um, throughout the summer to help really um, engage in this important work. And, um, Let's see, let's stop sharing for a second here and then just sort of open it up um, for any sort of final comments or questions. Um, Ray, actually, let me just real fast, um, in terms of the registration, what kind of information do teachers need to in order to register? Maybe that'd be helpful. So the um, the Bitly will actually take them to Google Form, which is connected to Red Cedar Writing Project, who okay. that's where they're, they'll find these um, Google Forms are going to. So this is like connected to an actual site, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they'll find information as far as what needs to be filled out. It's very small, right? It's very short. 
um, on that um, Google form, as well as um, ways to get connected to the the registration um, fee portal. Um, and those that are able to register prior to um, the beginning of June, we're working, um, myself and the director of the Red Cedar Writing Project, Trixie um, Smith, Dr. Trixie Smith, um, and um, her amazing colleagues there are going to be working to actually like ship all of your materials and books out to you. So they just arrive at your door and we want to make this as easy as possible. Um, and then once June 1st hits, we're into late registration. Um, and at which point you'll have access to materials, but that'll all be digital because we really won't have the time to get those shipped to you um, appropriately for the beginning of the Institute. Um, however, um, that doesn't mean that like you can't engage. We're going to keep registration open for those who need to register late and through June 15th um, in order for everyone to have that time they need to schedule themselves appropriately. Great. Thank you. Um, so we will post um, with this uh, broadcast, we'll also make sure there's a link to the flyer and a link to the registration form so that you can reach that easily. And um, I, um, I just wanted to say that when I saw this um, flyer come across my screen, I was really excited, both because in a course that I was teaching on uh, multimodal composing, we were talking about multimodal composing and intersectionality and what a like rich conversation and opportunity to create what we need in the world um, mm -hmm. opens up in those spaces. So, um, so I was very excited to see this institute um, being designed and developed. And then I got to the second page of the flyer and saw all the people that were going to be there and all the wonderful colleagues that everybody would get to work with. So I'm really excited um, and even more so now after hearing both of you speak about your experiences and, and, and how and why you think it's important to open this kind of space this summer. So thank you so much. So any final thoughts um, before we close today that you'd wanna share? Ileana, do you have any that you'd like to share first? Uh, yeah, I, I, I just springboarding off of what Christina just said, um, whatever I do with teachers is, is also what I do with young people in the high school classroom. So, you know, I have a whole course on women of color feminisms that I teach to juniors and seniors at the high school level, and they read the Combined River Collective's Black Feminist Statement, and they springboard off of it themselves in their own writing and their own thinking about, uh, activism, their own thinking about movement work, their own thinking about the issues they care about today. Um, so, you know, I think we, I think it's probably an, an invisible line in my head um, and a, a clear line in my head, but I, I, I think it's, I think it needs to be said that there's nothing we can, that we do with teachers that we can't also do with students. Mm -hmm. And that my wish and hope would be that, that the teachers would bring the black feminist statement and any kind of women of color feminist text back into the classroom to do exactly what you said, Christina, the, the intersectional work of um, identity formation, critical consciousness, social justice, activism, all of that we need to be doing with our students. And I just want to remind those that are watching, and I think this echoes some of what um, Eliana just pointed to, that um, 
I've been um, teaching since the 2000s, right? And so over the past couple of decades, um, given my own background, I'm most invested in teachers engaging this work in ways that work for them in their school contexts. I think we, well, we're also um, trying to encourage this work, but be sensitive to the fact that like, you know, depending on your state, depending on your district, this looks different, um, but it doesn't mean it can't be done, right? Um, and that's really what we want to support is like making sure that folks understand like how to make this happen in ways that um, both sustain them in the work um, and provide them access to it. And so one of the things that they'll be getting out of this, and I mentioned this earlier, is like those annotated text sets are going to be primarily primary source texts. Um, and that's because that was what I had access to if I wanted to move past the canned curriculum that I knew was not serving my students, right? Um, and so having those resources at their fingertips, I think is, is one really big key element of this. Um, and I also want to note that like, um, sort of like, uh, calling on, uh, a math scholar in the world where she had, uh, Rochelle Gutierrez, she coined the phrase, um, creatively insubordinate. Right. Um, and there were ways that I learned to do that in my own high school classrooms and middle school classrooms that um, kept me out of hot water because it was working, right? Like it connected with my, with my youth and it worked and it it had them interested. And, um, and so administrators would come in and they'd be like, what are you teaching? But then they would see young people engaged and they would see um, the level of engagement um, and they would see um, the thing that a lot of administrators wanted to see, which is the scores going up. And they were like, we don't understand how this is working. And also please don't tell the parents that you're doing all of this, but keep doing it, <laughs> right? And those are my experiences that I bring to this and wanna share with y'all. Um, so my emphasis is really on them engaging queer composing and furthering brave spaces while also being mindful of protecting their livelihoods and keeping them in classroom, which is where we need them. So thank you for your service to um, all of our youth across the nation. Thank you. Thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity and for providing this kind of space for people to think together and be brave and support each other and learn together. So um, this has been NWP Radio, a broadcast of the National Marine Project. And we very much thank Ray and Liliana for making and taking the time to be here today. Thank you for having us. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.